Empty Set Entertainment presents Slay, created by Scott Sigler. This story is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Guten Tag, Hair Junkies. This is Slay, Season 1, Episode number 24. And after this episode, I think you'll have an idea where the whole thing is heading. I hope to finish up at Episode 30, but... Like all things with my fiction, it's difficult to tell. All I know for sure is that there is one metric crapload of pure carnage coming your way. And I'm sure you are quite disappointed to hear that. Junkies, we lost an original junkie and a true legend of Siglerism. My friend Bruce Press lost his battle with cancer last week. He was empty sets photographer. He documented all nine Siglerfests and made these amazing Siglerfest album books full of pictures of junkies having the time of their lives. Bruce also took all the Siglerfest team photos, documenting the growth of the event over the years, and he took two pictures in particular of A Real Girl and I that are so good, they are up on the wall in our home, and I count these two pictures among my most prized possessions. So the man was very, very good at what he did. We gave the man a rave up, in our Sigler in Place live stream broadcast on June 4th, 2023, which just so happened to be our 200th Sigler in Place. That little thing we started back in 2019 to keep y'all COVID lock and sappy continues to be a good time with all the positive vibes. If you want to see our tribute to Bruce Icepick Press, you can see the recorded episode at youtube.com slash Scott Sigler. Click the live tab there. You'll have to track down and find it. Or at facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. And at Facebook, you just have to scroll all the way down until you find the live stream in that primary main column thingy. A Real Girl and I already missed the man. If you listen to this episode of Slate carefully, you will hear a hint of how I hope to immortalize the memory of Bruce in the best way that I know how. Let me get you caught up on Slay, and then we're all going to go figure out why it's so dusty in here when we are remembering Bruce. Previously on Slay. Lincoln tried to alter his deal with Kalista, but before he could get to her, finish the job Johnson got to him. Lincoln wound up in chains, about to be beheaded by Kalista's bodyguard, Bobby, when Ariella Goldsmith came in with a gun to Gary Sater's head. Now, Lincoln's life hangs in the balance as Ariella attempts to put a lawyering on Kalista and her team. Lincoln allowed himself to hope. Not much, but even a shred of hope was more than he'd had only moments earlier. Ariella Goldman glared at Kalista. Kalista glared back. Ariella pressed the barrel of Lincoln's spare Keltec pistol against the underside of Gary's jaw. Release my client, Ariella said, right now. Lincoln wondered how she got past the guards out front. That red dress and those heels, maybe, had been enough to get her in the door where Gary welcomed guests. Then the pistol had done all the talking. Her chunky turquoise necklace glowed softly. She had cast some kind of a protection spell, most likely, to keep Kalista's magic at bay. The cojones on this woman. 
Lincoln lay in the middle of the dance floor, bound in chains before Kalista's throne. A wall of clubgoers surrounded him, him, and the burly Minotaur, who'd been moments away from lopping off Lincoln's head. The barely-dressed, still-sweaty revelers kept their distance, watched the scene go down. The unska 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 music had stopped. The mirror ball still spun slowly, its colored squares of light gliding across Lincoln, Kalista, Bobby, Ariella, Gary, and clubgoers alike. Bobby lowered his double-bladed axe. Mistress Kalista, would you like me to dispatch this woman? Ariella jammed the gun harder into the soft spot beneath Gary's chin, forced his head up at a sharp angle. The satyr winced in pain and fear. Take one step toward me, bull boy, and I squeeze this trigger. I should tell you, though, that this weapon is loaded with two twenty-three meshwork-coated hollow points. I can get off three rounds before you reach me. Even if I only fire one round, it'll turn this man's brains into pureed goat cheese. Kalista raised a long-nailed finger. Robert, return to your position. Bobby walked behind Kalista's throne, set the pommel of his axe on the floor, and rested his hands atop the head. He stood there as if it was just another day at the office. For him, it probably was. I will not release Lincoln, Kalista said, nor will I allow him to speak. He had his chance. You will do as I ask, Ariella said. You know full well what happens if you break patchwork law, Kalista. Do you want your boas? Because this is how you get your boas. Kalista leaned back. Fire still flickered from her eyes. Her skin still glowed red, but Lincoln saw concern on that sultry face. Even the most powerful sorcerers in existence feared the shadowy keepers of order. If Jerboas came, Kalista would die horribly, just like any other. In that case, she said, as she crossed her fishnet-clad legs, I claim my right to representation. Lincoln saw Ariella's left cheek twitch, just once, just a little bit. He didn't know her well, but he knew her well enough to realize that she'd thought she could bulldoze her way through this scenario without facing legal opposition. That is your right, Ariella said. But I should warn you, the contract you signed with Lincoln is ironclad. And to save us all time, and to save you potential embarrassment, oh, excuse me, I mean more embarrassment, I have information to trade. We know that someone is about to muscle in on your turf, and in a big way, and that they have a financial backer. The flames flickering from Kalista's eyes ebbed, lowered. No one is that stupid, sweetie, she said. Who is it? Ariella waggled a finger side to side. Ah, ah, ah. You find out only if you release my client. Allow him to make an installment payment on the contract, which is his right, and honor the duration of said contract. Curls of smoke drifted from Kalista's nostrils. She was redder now. Definitely redder. Goldman, I'm going to roast you alive. I will make the skin melt from your muscles and your muscles crumble from your bones. What you're going to do, 
per section 17, clause 9 of the contract you signed with my client is summon your representation this instant. If you don't, we exercise clause 10. Ariella smiled sweetly. Such confidence. Such swagger. I'm sure you know what clause 10 is, right, Kalista? Kalista's hands curled into fists. The air around them shimmered from the heat. Release my manservant, Gorginald, Kalista said. He will summon my lawyer. You have my word. You will not be harmed while you are here. Ariella hesitated. Lincoln knew little of patchwork law, but he knew that if Ariella didn't let Kalista call for her lawyer, it would be Ariella that faced the Jerboas. Ariella lowered the pistol. Gary Sater rubbed at his jaw. Goat cheese? He glared at Ariella, his furry eyelids narrowing, as did his horizontal pupils. Hurtful and more than a little bit racist. Ariella twirled a finger. Get on with it. Gary snorted at her, then looked to Ariella. Mistress, perhaps this would be best done with fewer curious eyes observing the proceedings. Kalista glanced around the room, taking in the hundreds of drug-addled dancers watching the scene. An excellent point, Gurijanold, she said. This club is now closed. All of you G-T-F-O. Not you, Mercutio. You stay. The crowd didn't need to be told twice. They were disappointed, but they hurried out, not wanting to risk Kalista's anger. In moments, the club rats were gone. Kalista's throne, now with only Mercutio leaning against it, one finger twirling a long, perfect blonde curl, looked less impressive. Gary Sater spread his hands. Amber light flashed between them and his curled horns. His goat eyes gleamed with a soft, white light. A column of that same amber light appeared on the dance floor in front of Gary. In that light stood a naked man with a thick beard cut flat across the bottom. He held a glossy Plano magazine in one hand, but the man's dick drew everyone's attention. It hung down like a limp, meter-long, freshly oiled python, the tip angled against the floor. Oh, Ariella said, her voice now devoid of the bravado it had carried only moments earlier. Shocking cock con is your lawyer? Kalista smiled a shark's smile. In the beam of light, the naked man looked about the room, his gaze landing on the flaming-eyed woman sitting in the throne. This had better be important, he said. I was in the midst of self-gratification when your emissary drew me into communion with you. As you can see, he gestured to his yard-long penis. It takes a while to prepare myself. Kalista flicked a hand her go-to dismissive gesture. Polish your banister some other time, she said. I have a contractual matter that demands your attention. Now, put that monstrosity away before you turn sharply and accidentally break a window. Khan tossed the magazine aside. He rubbed his palms together, then raised his hands. A shawl of blue and red lined with thick ribbons of gold dropped onto him covering him 
from shoulders to toes. Khan wiggled his fingers. Jewel-encrusted rings appeared on them, and intricate bracelets materialized on his wrists. That's better, Kalisa said. We will discuss increasing your retainer a little bit later, Khan said. But first, well, 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 if it isn't Ariella Goldman. Look at you in that dress. And those heels? Mm, mm, mm. You look like a young little Julia Roberts all done up for a shopping spree on Rodeo Drive. Like a, like a Sigourney Weaver in Working Girls, but with somewhat overstated turquoise necklace instead of something classy like some no-nonsense pearls. You might not think I'm happy to see that it's you I'm squaring off against today, but I am. I truly am. Lincoln looked at Ariella. She sensed his gaze, met it. Khan and I have faced off before in court, she said, three times. Of which I've won too! In the column of light, shocking cock Khan looked down at Lincoln. And I have a feeling I'm about to go three and one. Look at you! All chained up, all helpless. Just a lonely, handsome man. Just desperate for a knight in shining armor to come unbind him, for which he would be so eminently grateful that, well, he'd do just about anything to show his con, Callista said. This isn't the time to file things away in your spank bank. Khan looked up to the ceiling, shook his head in his hands. Whew, of course, of course, he said. It's just that when you show a starving man a smorgasbord, you can't expect him to not take a sniff. Now, can you? Now, fire eyes. Be a good client and bring your counselor up to speed, won't you? Surprisingly, Kalista laid out the facts in a non-biased way, describing the contract, Sam's place on the shelf, her protection of the boy, her ordering Lincoln to kill Ariella, and finished off with her hiring of Finish the Job Johnson to bring Lincoln in. Lincoln wished he could speak for himself, but his jaw remained clamped shut. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. 
Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. It's an open and shut case, Ariella said. My client possesses on his person at this very moment payment that allows him to execute Clause 15 in the contract. Kalista needs to release him immediately and allow said contract to occur. Open and shit is more like it, Shocking Cock Khan said. Your client was ordered to kill you. He chose to engage your services instead. Section 42, paragraphs 6 through 17 of the Bounty Hunting Codicil clearly states a bounty hunter who engages in a contract may not be bought out by the target of said contract. I didn't buy him out, Ariella said. We went into business together. Khan laced his fingers, rested his hands on his stomach. Damn, but did that dude look smug. Not that Lincoln could blame him. Looking smug would be a steady-state existence for anyone with three feet of dangling fury like that. It is a monetary transaction regardless, Khan said. If Mr. Franks had engaged any other lawyer, I'd say you have a clear win here. But he did not. Your financial intertwinings muddy the waters considerably. Lincoln thought of Dylan Cantrell. When Ariella pointed out that Lincoln could change his contract with Kalista, he could have gone to his old friend and pursued it with him. Lincoln had not. Instead, he had decided, on a whim, to put everything at risk. And Cantrell had not paid Bingles. That wasn't like him. Not a bit. Lincoln realized, surprisingly and sharply, that he'd been too caught up in his own misery to pay attention to the obvious. Something had gone wrong for Dylan Cantrell. Was he in trouble? Was he dead? Counsel Lacan, your point is moot, Ariella said. My client has payment to activate Clause 15. End of story. He's here. He's willing to pay. Your client must remove those chains and allow him to do so. Khan glanced down at Lincoln. There was a gleam in his eye, a gleam that Lincoln did not like. His chains, Khan said. Mm, did my client apply those chains to Mr. Franks? What did that have to do with anything? Lincoln looked to Ariella. They were applied by someone in your client's employ, she said, at your client's order. Kalista smiled. I did not specify how Lincoln was to be delivered. In fact, when the bounty hunter who brought him in wanted to kill him, I spared his life. A bounty hunter? Khan put on an expression of fake perplexity. Why, you know, I do believe bounty hunters are freelancers, not direct employees. Oh, this gig economy, it creates so many damn wrinkles. But the law is clear on this. My client is not responsible for the actions of freelancers. He raised a hand as if he were a Roman emperor giving a grand speech. If Mr. Franks could hand my client the payment, well then, yes, he would be free to force Clause 15. 
However, due to his restraints, restraints not applied by my client or those in her direct employee, he can't hand over the payment. Therefore, he gets a goddamn loophole, Ariella said. If fire could have flared from her eyes, Lincoln knew it would reach to the club's black ceiling. Any lawyer worth his salt just loves loopholes. Khan started striding around, his chest out, his hand high, and gesturing. Any holes, really. Or maybe that's just me. My client does not need to release Mr. Franks. If my client so chooses, she can leave Mr. Franks as he is to urinate and defecate upon himself, smelly and stinky, and eventually die of dehydration. And she isn't required to lift one subtle finger to... He stopped walking, suddenly bent at the waist. His right foot raised slightly, his face scrunched in pain. Oh, Khan, Kalista said. Did you step on it again? Khan nodded. Yep, you stepped right on it. You're not wearing the cock garter I got you for Saturnalia. Khan shook his head. Mm, nope, not wearing it. Kalista sighed. Let's give him a moment to recover. She looked to Ariella. You have lost, Goldsmith. Normally, that would spell your end, unless you found some other sap to protect you. But I doubt you can, considering I have put the word out. Anyone you hire becomes a target of mine. No one wants to be a target of mine. With Lincoln out of the picture, you are at my mercy. However, I am intrigued by your claim that some fool is moving in on my turf. Khan, could you inform Ariel of that? Still bent over, face still scrunched, Khan held up a finger. Gonna need another minute. Oh boy, do I need to lose some weight. Kalista rubbed at her face. When she lowered her hands, the flames were gone from her eyes. I'll offer you a side deal, Goldsmith, she said. You tell me who is muscling in on my territory. If this threat turns out to be accurate, I will allow Lincoln to make his payment and activate Clause 15, whatever the hell that is. But only if Lincoln eliminates that threat. That was a horrible deal. Lincoln would have said so. Could he have opened his mouth? Thankfully, Ariella was way too smart to allow... Agreed, Ariella said. Lincoln tried to yell, but all that came out were more pig noises. Angry pig noises, but pig noises all the same. Kalista snapped her fingers. Lincoln's jaw loosened. We're not taking that deal, he said. No fucking way. Ariella turned on him. Lincoln Franks, shut your mouth. Let me handle this. Her intensity took him aback, and he knew how Gary must have felt with that pistol jammed up under his chin. Khan started to stand, shook his head, bent at the waist again. He reached up one hand and gave a thumbs up. Side deal approved, he said. Oh my God, I need some ice. Kalista recrossed her legs, letting the curve of her ass peek out from beneath her red leather skirt. We have a deal, she said. Now, who is this imbecile with enough hubris to think that he can take my territory? It's Dante Ogunov, Ariela said. 
He's had at least five hitters operating in the city under the guise of competing for one low-budget contract. Kalista's smoldering stare pivoted to Lincoln. Dante Oganoff, the man that you were supposed to kill for me. You didn't ask me to kill him, Lincoln said. You asked me to send him a message, which apparently you suck at. Kalista held out a hand, waggled her fingers. Lincoln's chains fell free. He stood, rubbed his wrists and arms, considered reaching into his cloak for Tizona and driving that sword straight through Kalista's chest. But he could not. A deal had been struck. He had no desire to be gobbled up by Jerboas. Fucking lawyers, man. Fucking lawyers. You said five hitters, Kalista said. Who are they? Boss Hogg, the Flechette Sisters, and Oleus Oakbeard, Ariella said. Oh, fuck, Bobby said. Oakbeard? And that white-suited cracker? Kalista's confident smile faltered, waned. That's four, she said. Who is the fifth? Pragman. Lincoln rubbed at his sore jaw muscles. But I already took him out. There could be more. Why don't you just hire finish the job Johnson again and leave me out of this? Kalista looked at him, the strength returning to her eyes. Lincoln, for years, tongues have wagged as to who is the baddest motherfucker in the bounty hunter business. Some say it's finish the job Johnson. Others believe, quite strongly, that Ice Pick is the deadliest person alive. But there are a few, just, just a few, mind you, who believe that title belongs to the eldest son of the legendary Jacoby Franks. So, if I already have one of the best in the business handling this issue, why buy the goat when I can have the milk for free? Unnecessary, mistress, Gary Setter said. Prejudicial, injurious, and a tad unkind. Kalista flicked a hand toward him. Be quiet, my pet. I didn't let Goldsmith ventilate your pretty head now, did I? The compliment seemed to please Gary. He stood straighter, smoothed out his tux. Four talented bounty hunters, Kalista said. Perhaps even more. Oganov doesn't have that kind of clout. You said there is money behind this gambit. Whose money? Lincoln and Ariella traded a glance. We don't know, she said. Not yet. Kalista stood. She extended a hand. Mercutio took it, led her down the platform steps. Her six-inch heels clicked. Her body swayed with each slow step as she approached Lincoln. Christ, but she was hot. The temptress even smelled good, like a dish that's so spicy it will burn your tongue, yet you eat it anyway because it's a good hurt. Lincoln Franks, she said. Remember that, for now, your son's survival relies solely upon my discretion. You'll protect a helpless little thing like me, won't you? Oh, how he hated this bitch. I want to see my son, he said. Kalista glanced off, pretending to think. No, she said. Considerate motivation. Perhaps he's fine. Ooh, but perhaps not.
The only way you know is when you deal with Dante and the fools working for him. Hated her so, so much. Do good work for me, Lincoln, Callista said. And this time, don't fuck it up. Instead of avoiding four talented killers, Lincoln now had to take them head on. Any one of them could end him. But all of them? His chances were hot garbage. I need a few hours to prepare, he said. Think you can stay alive that long without me, Kalista? She leaned in, kissed his cheek, slow and lingering. It sent a spark through him, from head to toe, stopping for a lingering lunch at his privates along the way. I'll do my darndest, she said. You have three hours, then I want you on the job. Now, you and your arrogant whore of a lawyer can get the fuck out of my place. You have been listening to Slay, created and read by Scott Sigler. Copyright 2023, Empty Set Entertainment. For more information on the author and more books, visit scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Superweapon. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.